0: Man, I just ran over here. So if I'm, like, trying to get my head together, uh, bear with me. I do need to thank you for a lot of your grace yesterday. Uh, man, I got good encouragement from you guys about the session and all that stuff. Man, I just felt like it was just a scatter. You know, it, just, it was crazy. And But, man, just thank you for your prayers. I got a chance to kind of grieve through the afternoon and uh, just got to... Man, take some of that time, and uh, man, I feel much better this morning, so I just want to thank you for giving me that grace yesterday, but also your prayers, and so, man, did you have a good night last night? Yeah, I did until we got called up front, right? Listen, I get in so much trouble with that dude. Um, I'm a good, I've been a, I'm just a, I was a good kid, I still try to be a good dude, and I'm just hanging around that dude, but I tell you what, I haven't felt like that in a long time. I-, I thought Troy, Lee, I don't know about you, but I thought Troy was going to tell us, go get a switch and I'll meet you around back. <laughs> I was sitting there like, oh man, I haven't felt like this is at 16. I'm like, oh, dad's going to get us. you know. Uh, and so, but you know, it was, that was just a lot of fun because, you know, me and Lee were just like brothers. We're bantering back and forth, blaming each other. And uh, it's kind of like the whole garden thing, right? I'm blaming Lee. Lee's ba- blaming Chris. So I guess that'd make Chris Miller Satan, right? <laughs> and uh so and that made Troy Jesus walking in the cool of the day calling us, Where are you at? Hey, where you at? I'm here. Right? So so you're Jesus. Kind of like back to the Malawi days. So anyway, just good to be back. And so I, I I wanna clear something up. I wasn't here when Lee was talking about me, but he said I was a minimalist. I'm not a minimalist, I'm just cheap. Okay. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's it. I just Oh, that's the alternate word. Okay. so but Uh, Lee, did you realize they did it to you again? Have you figured this out? Lee's going to be the last speaker, right, for the conference? Is that right? That morning session? So Troy has a tough job getting the thing going, right, and keeping us going through the night. Again, they did this to us at the marriage conference. I get this sweet spot, right, right in the middle. Because if you get something... It's just a blessing, man. It's just good. If not, like, hey, we still had a good time at all church retreat, right? So Troy's done his job. The thing is, though, we keep putting Lee in the position to being the last guy to speak. And everyone remembers the last thing that is said. So God could be moving all week long, and he just bomb, and it ruins the whole stinking thing, right? And so no pressure, Right? Right? but he's got this, and so, again, uh, just good to be here, and uh, just good to be a part of this. Okay, so it probably would have been a good idea yesterday to tell you that I was just kind of setting the stage, all right? I was just setting the stage to today, and again, I'm just a simple guy, and uh, man, it just, I just do what the Lord said. And my dad had taught me to have virtue, and how he explained virtue to me is just doing the thing you know is right until you know better, all right? And so as you transform, right, God just shows you another thing, another thing. And if you have virtue settled in your life, you just do that as you acquire knowledge and as you work through those stages of growth. And so that was instilled in me at a very early age. And so, man, we, man we're going to just look at some virtue things. That's it. And see if those things show that we're a true worshiper of God or not. And so but I want to ask you again, what, what are you seeking? Did you, did you figure that out last night? You know, are you trying to figure out where he's at to get to him? And may you have been for years and you just, man, rekindled that fire. And and remember that definition that I'm going to ask you to work with me on is that worship is an attitude of adoration demonstrated by an appropriate action. I think this morning you'll see a little bit how that just plays out through scripture and helps define some things. But I hope you had a chance to meditate on that and Again, I, I wish, man, when I was taking my church to this, it, it was like seven, eight weeks. And so, man, I, I'm just kind of giving it to you, and so you can run with it, do your own study, improve all things, right? And hold fast to that which is good. And so, Proverbs 4, right? But the hour cometh and now is when a true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And this is what the Father's seeking, right? The Father's seeking such to worship Him. God is a spirit. And look what it says they that mu- worship Him must. This isn't up for debate must worship him in spirit and in truth he doesn't want orchids right? he he, he mu- we must we must worship him in these two areas and so i want to remind you that appropriate action will will be governed by his words you know you don't get to just make this thing up and I mean, that's a lot of the cults and false religions and even the denominations that's what they've done right they may they may have this adoration it would seem for the lord but man it doesn't line up with what he has said. But man, we can maybe fall in the other category sometimes is that man, we know what the word says, and but you know what? Our attitude ain't there. An attitude is a way you feel or think. And so that adoration, when you define it is is reverence and respect and love. And so, man, when you run the word of God and spirit through that, you see the your attitude is connected to your spirit and so the attitude of adoration will only be given through his words. And what I'm trying to explain this morning is that this will either make you or break you. This thing of worship. Now, we'll see. I, I, I've been debating to do this or not, but you know, some of you guys maybe had good dads and good uncles, so you never played this game. Anybody play fifty-two card pickup? Right? so you all had those dads right and those uncles and you know it works the first time right you know you play 52 and right and they go out and you're, you're a little kid and you're going you're picking them all up and you look up and dad or uncle's just cracking up at you right and if you're if you're wising up to it you find out it was no game it was a trick Now, if you play it two, three, four times, then you're kind of like, man, what's your problem, right? (laughs) Something's wrong with Lee if he keeps doing that, right? (laughs) But that's what happens, right? Like, they play that once, and you find out, man, he ain't doing that again. And and it's a loose illustration, I know, but I'm hoping it gets it across that Satan's not a good father, is he? And, And he... Man gets us into this what he would call the game of life, right? But you find out that it's full of a bunch of tricks. And one of the tricks he seems to do is man, he just gives us a lot of excuses, don't he? And, and if you look at these man may picture these cars as a bunch of excuses, man, he lets them fly in our life, and we're around picking them up and using them instead of and doing our responsibilities, it distracts us from what we're supposed to actually be doing. But what's weird is, man, in the game or the trick in real life, we we would know after one time, man, that's, that's a horrible trick. But it seems like for whatever reason, as Christians, we keep picking up the cards. We keep picking up the excuses. And he throws some more out, and we just sit there and just keep grabbing them and going after them. And and it totally distracts us from what our good Father is trying to do. And if you just let that, hold that thought, hold that illustration and we'll come back to it. But I want to take a brief moment may, to show you how this definition of worship can re- reveal who or, what you're, who or what you're truly worshiping. And... And again, that's why the definition has to be void of God because, like I mentioned yesterday, your worship can be of other things and other people and other beings. Remember Exodus 34, verse 14? For thou shalt worship no other God. doesn't mean you can't. It means you shouldn't. God is a jealous God and there should be no worship of other gods and Look at the warning in Deuteronomy 8, verse 19, and it it shall be, if thou do it all, forget the Lord thy God. It's talking to the nation of Israel here. And walk after other gods and serve them and worship them. I testify against you this day that ye shall surely perish. The Bible proves we can worship someone or something other than God, but you see in this verse how it begins. You forget the Lord. There goes your love, your reverence, and respect. And and once that attitude of adoration is now no longer on the Lord, well, you start to walk. You start to do life after other gods. And once that's settled, man, then the appropriate action is to serve them. To serve those gods. And now what we've done, we've entered worship of these other gods. God is jealous. See, once the attitude of adoration changes, so follow the actions. And over and over, you'll see this pattern in Scripture. I want, just, I want you to see how this works. These are common passages, but maybe, maybe you see it in a new, with a new perspective. We see it with Lucifer, don't we? Ezekiel 28 Remember, you know these verses. Son of man, take up lamentation upon the king of Tyrus and say to him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardis, topaz, and the diamond, the barrel, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle, and gold. The workmanship of thy tabrets and thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou was created. Son of man, take up lamentation upon the king of Tyrus and say unto him, thus saith the Lord God, thou sealest of the sum, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. That's what he says about him. That's the sum up of it all. He was the pinnacle of creation. He had it all. He says in verse 14 that he was the anointed cherub that covereth. And God had set him there. We know this, right, in our churches, right? And he's there, and he's the pinnacle of creation. He's one that covereth the throne, and as the lie of God hid him, because God had set him there, brought glory to God as the stars of heaven, the sons of God sang. Lucifer's original attitude of adoration was towards the Lord, and so the appropriate action was to lead those sons of God in glorifying him, to praise him. But one day, his heart was lifted up, right? Verse 17. Look what it changed to. His attitude of adoration changed to his beauty. Since thy heart was lifted up because of thy beauty, thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness." So can you see it? His attitude of adoration changed. We see in Isaiah 14, verse 12, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, the son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which is weak in the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, and here it goes, his attitude of adoration begins a change, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of congregation, on the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. See, there came a sad day, right, when Lucifer realized exactly what he was. Man, there's no one quite like me around, right? I'm the most special creation of all of God's creation. And look, I lead all these sons of God. Man, all their eyes are on me, and I deserve some attention. I deserve some respect. I deserve some reverence. I deserve some love. I deserve some worship. So if his attitude of adoration was himself, well, guess what then follows? The appropriate action then isn't to glorify God. The appropriate action then is going to be demonstrated by him exalting himself. Everything was going to now be about him. See, this definition will many times give you clarity what Satan has done and what he is doing. And because he adores himself, therefore the appropriate action is anything that puts him in position to be worshipped. But look how subtle he is when he comes to Eve. Now this is in your notes. I mean, it, there's pictures and patterns all over scripture. Man, this one was just pressed on my heart, but we know the passage, right? Satan first challenged God's character by calling him a liar and making it seem like God was keeping her from something that would better her. Right, Genesis 3, 1, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God made. And he said to the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And she responds. He challenges the word, remember, that gives the attitude of adoration. But then verse 4, And the serpent said to the woman, Ye shall not surely die. He's calling God a liar. And if God's a liar... Listen, do you adore someone that you think has betrayed you? No. He not only attacks the word that gives the attitude of adoration, but then also attacks the character of God, the one she adored. And she now in her heart and mind is thinking that he's a liar. Well, the attitude of adoration now is being diminished in her life. And look what he does. He's slick, man. He's so subtle. In verse 5, we see some more things. For God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and you shall be as God's, knowing good and evil. Listen, do you naturally adore someone that you think is keeping something from you that will better you? No. If you think that, man, they've got something that's, man, meant for you, but they're holding it so that you won't progress or you can't get better, and they're wanting to keep you in bondage, your heart isn't naturally going to adore them. And so, Satan attacks not only the Word, but also attacks God. And attacks her attitude towards God. And so subtle, though, he doesn't turn, then, the attitude of adoration towards him. Who does he turn it to? Her. He makes it about her. Genesis 3, 5-6, For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof then your eyes shall be open and ye shall be as gods knowing good and evil and when the woman saw the tree was good for food for her and it was pleasant to her eyes to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise do you see that man he takes and attacks god and who he is and his character and his words but then starts to put her in a place where it's all about her and so her attitude of adoration was not for the lord her attitude of adoration begins to be for herself. So the appropriate action then is now to exalt herself, to do the best for herself, to do what she would want. In verse six, then she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. Right, if we believe that the the theme of the Bible is a king and a kingdom, or Christ's kingdom glory, or the day of the Lord, all that is wrapped around worship. The king deserves worship. So, here, right at the bat, we see right at, the, right at the beginning this battle for worship. And that's how it works. Satan doesn't make it about him initially. You know who he makes it about? You. He makes it about you. That you deserve some love, you deserve some attention. You deserve some respect. And man, it's so subtle. All of a sudden, you've, you stop adoring the Lord. You start adoring yourself. Well, guess what? When you're adoring self, you're not going to do the appropriate actions of the Lord. You're going to do what, what you want to do. And we've left, then, being a true worshiper. And we see it same thing with, with Matthew and with, with Jesus. All right? Matthew 4, verse 1, it says, then when Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. I love that verse. All right? That Jesus was led up of the Spirit. Now we know if you've been, if you're familiar with the book of John, Jesus loves the Father. You can't read that book, but see the love that he has for his father. He adores his father. He reverences his father. He respects his father. You can't miss that when you read the book of John. And see how he then he demonstrates that here by the appropriate action, which is what? Governed by his word. And when Satan tempts him, he uses the word to govern his actions and to combat the enemy. But look what Satan tries to do. He tries to pull that old same trick. Verse 2. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, he's trying to get the attention on Christ. Command these stones be made bread. Man, you hungry. You need to eat. He's trying to make it about him. You know, what's interesting, and, and this is just food for thought, and, but man, uh, after 40 days, supposedly your body begins to see corruption and starts to die itself after 40 days of fasting. So it's interesting that Satan has potentially got Jesus in a hard spot because his body wasn't to see corruption right? So if he goes past the 40 days, then he may be going into that. I'm just throwing this out here for food for thought. So he knows he can't break prophecy. He needs to eat. And so it looks like Satan may have him in a hard spot. But what's interesting is he tries to get in about him. But what does Jesus do? He submits to the Word, and I love it. I love this. The living Word of God was submitting himself to the written Word of God. In verse 5, though, we see that the devil taketh him up into the holy city and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple. And saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee. In their hands they shall bear thee up. lest any time that thou dash thy foot against a stone, he's, he's trying to get Christ to think about himself. But Jesus said to him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. So again, the devil takes them up into an exceeding high mountain, sheweth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And he said to him, All these things will I give thee. I'm going to give it to you. He's making it all about him. But he gets to his ultimate goal: if thou wilt fall down and worship me. See, Satan is doing all this, attempting, to, or attempting Jesus. To change his attitude of adoration. Trying to pull his attitude of adoration from God and put it on himself. If it's going to be all about him, all about Jesus, well then, the appropriate action, yeah, sure, it's going to get the glory. I I want the glory of all the kingdoms. Satan wants Jesus to exalt himself, not the Father to exalt him. So in verse 10, then says Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. See, Jesus' attitude of adoration didn't change. Therefore, the appropriate action was not to fall down, was not to worship him, was not to give it all up for that. The appropriate action was to allow the word of God to govern his life. And he's like, hey, there is no other worship for anybody else but God. Man, do you see that? How man, the definition can give you clarity with what Satan, again, was doing and what may he's doing today. Again, he, he tries to get us off of God and onto ourselves. Now, here's another example of how this definition works in 1 Samuel chapter 15 with Saul. See, it says in verse 12: When Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set him up a place, and has gone about and passed on and gone down to Gilgal, and Samuel came to Saul. And Saul said to him, Blessed be thou the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. I've done what he said. I've done the appropriate actions. I've done what he's commanded me. I've, I've obeyed him. And you know the story, and Samuel said, Okay, what meaneth then the, this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of oxen which I hear? Hey, what's up with the baths and the moose? right? What's going on? And Saul said, Man, they have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God. And their rest, man, we've utterly destroyed. And Samuel said to Saul, Stay, and I will tell thee what the Lord has said to me this night. And he said to them, Say on. And Samuel said, when thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel, and the Lord anointed thee king of Israel? Let me pause for a second. I mean, wouldn't that be motivation for Saul's man attitude of adoration for the Lord? I was a nobody, and he made me somebody. Man, he put me in this position. I'm anointed by the Lord. But look what happens in verse 18. the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, go, and Utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites. This is what the Lord commanded you to do. Fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore, then, didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil, and didst evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. He's are trying to convince Samuel, I have done that. And have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen and the chief of things, which should have been utterly destroyed. What to do? To sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. See, Saul is trying to convince Samuel he has obeyed. He's trying to reassure Samuel he was submitted and that he, meant he just wanted to bring a sacrifice. They just wanted to bring the best. He just wanted to give some orchids. I mean, sheep, right? It goes on and says, And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of lambs. And it's not saying that sacrifices weren't important. It's saying if you would obey me, you would sacrifice. Obedience is necessary. Obedience is first. I need you to obey. It's better than what you think the sacrifice. Again, that's why worship has to be more than sacrifice. It has to be submission to his words. And that's why the appropriate action has to be dictated by, dictated by Scripture. It must be in spirit and in truth. And Samuel goes on and says, For a rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity, and here it is, and idolatry. That's the worship of something other than God. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. See, obedience is better. Because God knows if you're obedient, you will sacrifice. But if your sacrifice is not out of submission to God's word, you can offer what seems to be the appropriate sacrifice. But to him, it's just orchids. Or in this case, just a bad barbecue. It meant nothing. It was worship, all right. But it wasn't worship of God. Let me show you who Saul was worshiping. Verse 24 tells us, Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned, for I had transgressed the command of the Lord in thy words, because I feared the people. Remember how fear plays into this attitude of adoration? He feared the people, so guess who then he obeys? Their voice. Their words. Fear will produce an attitude of reverence or respect and love. That attitude demonstrated. That attitude will be demonstrated with the appropriate action. And it reveals, in this case, who Saul worshipped. He worshipped the people. He cared what they thought. They cared about his, their opinions over God's. So again, do you see if Saul feared? So then the appropriate action was to obey their voice, to submit to them. Saul feared the people, so the appropriate action was to sacrifice his relationship with God. To sacrifice the kingdom God gave for him, for them. This definition provides the wherewithal to determine who or what someone worships. And man, it's everywhere in Scripture. You ever notice that Paul, most of Paul's letters, he starts with doctrine? And you know what doctrine does? It brings this awe to God. You're like, whoa. And then he follows up with the practical application. You ever notice? My dad challenged me on this a while back in a good way. He's like, hey, you ever notice worship's not really mentioned through the rest of the New Testament after the Gospels? I said, it is, Dad. Just made out in the Word. Because what's happening in the Gospels? And you got these boys that fall in love with the Lord, don't they? Man, they just fall in love with him, and they reverence him and respect him. Yeah, they had their falls and downs and ups and downs, but man, at the end of it, man, they fall in love with him. And what do you have the next book? The Acts of the Apostles. The appropriate actions of people that worship God. It's, It's all over when you begin to see it. But yet, this definition, if you take it through your life, gives you the ability to stop and align to yourself and see what you're worshiping. I'm going to show you some appropriate actions this morning. But can I give you another thought? I've heard it said this way, everything rises and falls on leadership. Have you heard that? Right. Does everything rise and fall on leadership? Now the leaders will come back. I love it, right? The leaders will come back and say, no, not everything rises and falls on leadership. Everything rises and falls on followership. I don't even know if that's a real word, right? Followership, right? And I'm not fighting those statements at all. I, I get the gist behind those things, but this is what I've come to believe. Everything rises and falls on fulfillment. Fulfillment. Let me explain And I hope maybe you can see how this will work with maybe our understanding of worship. Because once you establish that God is who you seek, and once the master starts to reveal in the Word what you're supposed to do, you just have a simple choice of doing it. Fulfilling what God has asked you to do. Whether or not your leaders are the greatest leaders in the world or not. Whether, if you're a leader, they're following God has given you some responsibilities. It's for you to fulfill. I think you'll see what I mean here in a second. I I thought it'd be fitting to, as as all church retreat to, and we got all our families here, just to kind of go over some family rules. And I also thought it'd be fitting, just these are all the things that Mark Trotter taught us. I don't know about you guys, but I probably think about him once or twice a week since he's been gone. Uh, I miss that dude desperately. I would not wish him to be here at all, though. Uh, I, I'm jealous, right? I can't wait to see him. And I don't know if this is wrong or right, Kenny. Drew, Sam. You guys can correct me after this, okay? But I got this image that I can't wait to see Christ. And I can't wait man, to wrap my hand, arms around him, be in his embrace. But I got this image of I see Christ, and I, see his, I can't wait to see him there's Mark looking over the shoulder. Like, I'm next after. I can't, man, I just can't wait. Kenny, you can rebuke me later, right? I just can't. And so, you know, Mark taught us so much. And, man, it's so cool, the guy that won the scholarship. Man, that's awesome. You actually look like Mark, too, by the way. (laughs) Right? And and so you got it going on, man. And uh, so, but listen, like, he didn't teach us those things to die with him. He taught us hoping we were faithful and that we would continue in them and and teach others also. So I just thought it would be fitting to just kind of look back at some of all those things that maybe he's taught us through the past or taught us in private. But I just want to show you how worship plays in that God has taught me. And we're going to look at the husbands just real quick. I'm just going to land on the husbands for a second and and hopefully it will play into the rest of the actions of the roles and responsibilities we have. But I want you to see that it's about you fulfilling them. It's not about who's following. It's not about who you're leading. It's about you, what God has asked of you to do. And so responsibility number one, husbands, is to love your wives. To love your wives, and we would know that. Ephesians 5, 25, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Man, when we would know Christ loved us. But listen, he loved the Father. And there's no question, again, as you read the book of John, man, he adored the Father. And you know what happened? He demonstrated that by submitting and sacrificing to the Father. Right? In the garden, he submitted his will. And on the cross, he sacrificed his body. And that love for us was unconditional. You know why it was unconditional? Unconditional because it wasn't based on us, it's based on what the Father was telling him to do. And so when he offered us his love, is out of obedience and submission to the Father, therefore it can be unconditional because it has no bearing on who you are. But that's the love we're supposed to have as husbands, guys. And this is how worship comes in, man. You love the Father and you reverence and respect him. And so you run to his word. And his word says, husbands, you need to love your wives. But the problem in our flesh, in ourself, man, it's short. It falls short. And when, man, we got a problem, or man, there's some issue, whatever the thing may be, well, man, we can't, I can't love her right now. She did this or she did that. Listen, if you're to love your bride and that is the appropriate action and you do it out of adoration for the Lord, you know what's amazing about this? It's that the love you have for her is like the Christ's love. It is unconditional because her actions now have no bearing on you because you're going to love her because you love the Father and He's told you to love her. And so no matter what she does, no matter what, good or bad, you're going to love her as Christ loved the church. You're going to love her out of worship. And listen here, gentlemen, that kind of love they can never find in the world. That unconditional love out of reverence and respect and love for the Father, they can't find in any other man. And that makes that love different. That makes it charity. It makes it a perfect love, a godly love that only you can offer as her husband in worship to the Lord. It changes the ballgame in the marriage. If you do these actions out of demonstration to the Lord that you love, reverence, and respect Him, your love's different. It's out of worship. You can't get there, though, by trying. You can't get there through your flesh You only get to that unconditional love through worship. Are you catching what I'm spitting? Yeah? Okay. Then you see all the other responsibilities. Those are for your study to go through if you haven't already. Worship, in my mind, is the only way, is only had in this area when you fulfill these responsibilities, these appropriate actions of a true worship of God as a husband. And what's amazing, if you do these things out of an attitude of love, reverence, and respect for the Lord—you won't just have a good marriage; you'll have a godly one. But men, husbands—is where Satan comes out and says, giving us excuses, right? Man, that old lady just won't listen. All right? That old hag is stubborn. Right? That old cow is trying to control me. That old girl won't respect me. Yeah, or is it you just love yourself too much? Or maybe you love golf too much. I love fishing. I love hunting. And so, those appropriate actions, let me tell you, if you look at those things, I'm not saying they're bad, they have their may, their spot, their time, but you know what I mean. If you look at those appropriate actions, does it tell you who you really love? You give, those best, you give your best to those things and not to the Lord and not to her. And you have your excuses and Satan's shot them out there for you and you just keep picking them up why you can't fulfill these responsibilities. Why you can't do these things. And you keep following for the trick. Instead of seeing the game, seeing what it does and say, you know what? My father says I can do it. I can do it. And I'm going to do it because I love and worship the Lord. And I'm going to leave the excuses line. I'm not going to play the trick anymore. I'm going to go worship the Lord by loving my wife. I'm going to worship the Lord by getting to know her. I'm going to worship and just go down that line. Ladies, are you cool with your men doing that? Okay, there we got some. Are you guys, yeah, right? Hopefully you would, right? It's the same thing for ladies, right? You see the appropriate actions, and we'll just land on the first one, reverence. And I'm with Joe McCaig on this one. I think unconditional reverence is harder than unconditional love. You ladies got a little harder, I think. But listen, the only way you can give unconditional reverence, because we fall short, don't we, men? <laughs> The only way you're going to fulfill that appropriate action is finding your fulfillment in God and doing what He's asked you to do and doing our worship. But man, the excuses, right, can fly, can't they? That old man doesn't love me. That old chump is stubborn. He gives me no time. He keeps failing. He keeps hurting. Why should I reverence? I get it. But man, you've got an awesome God. That, man, if you will find your worship in these things that he's asked you to do, you'll find your fulfillment. Even if you don't have the greatest leader. You'll find in Titus, as you do these things, you'll actually begin to see the hidden man of your heart. You know who that hidden man of the heart is? It's Christ. And that's who you love, reverence, and adore. That's what he begins to see, and your man begins to learn through your life, through Christ's teaching, through your life. Man, you got the more appropriate actions all in your notes. You got the ones for fathers there. Man, we can let the excuses fly, right? And, and you just, again, you're probably tired of this, right? And we can pick up those excuses. Man, my kids, <laughs> I want to give my kids what I didn't have. I'm too busy. Man, I, I want to do this. I want to do that. Man, we get an educational plan for our kid and they become, man, our focus in our life instead of having a spiritual plan for them. And again, we don't, we don't do these actions as fathers and mothers out of worship. There's some there for employees, employers. and but Listen, we can come up with a lot of excuses, but our, our Father has given these things to us through His Word. Man, I, I had a good dad. I really did. I, I love my dad, and I'm actually... I get to be with him on Father's Day. It's kind of cool. I, I mean, I've been in you know, California, Florida since, man, 2008. So it's been a while. So I, I get to spend some time with him this Sunday. And he's a good dad. And there's this really weird moment. There. He's my, he was my youth pastor, too. So I'm a pastor's kid. you know. And, uh, and so we're, in, you know, he always uses us as illustrations, right? Pastor's kids in here, you don't know what I mean, right? And so one day, and I may have told this story, but if it's, he tied a rope around my waist and kind of let me go. And he was just talking about true parenting and the response of the kid obeying, and that, man, you kind of have them and you train them, you lead them and guide them. And he's pulling me all over the stage. And, and he said, man, as you get older, you give them a little bit of slack, and maybe they break that trust or disobey, and you have to pull them in a little bit. But, you know, he's letting me go a little farther and further. And he says, but there comes a point in a parent's life that, you know, you just got to let go and let the Lord have him. And it was a weird moment. Like, he was te- teaching to the teens, but he looks at me, and he takes that, I'm like 16 years old, and he takes that rope, and he drops it. And I freaked out for a second. Because I was like, I don't mind being under you, man. Like, I'm good. <laughs> like, not just paying the bill thing, but like, dude, I, you're a good dad. I don't want to be the fear of the Lord hit me. That now I was going to start answering to the Lord. But you know was wild? As I was freaking out and wondering what's next, and what does this mean? What do you mean you're letting me go? <laughs> you know this strange, calm feeling came over me. That if my dad's letting go, he believes I can do it. He believes he's prepared me enough and put enough in me that I could go do it. Our Father says we can do it. That you can be a godly husband and a godly wife. That you can be a godly mother and a godly father. That's what our Father has said. These things are not unreachable. (laughs) You can do it. I'm too tired. Man, I'm too busy. I just can't do it. You just don't understand. You don't know how hard my life is. You don't know how hard this thing is. Our Father believes we can do it. He wouldn't tell us these things if they're unreachable. But listen, they are unreachable if you don't do it in worship to Him. He has to be your motivator. He has to be your pinnacle. The one that's preeminent. If it's so, if he is, then man, he'll lead you and guide you through this. And, and what's awesome, you have a marriage that brings God worship. You have kids, man, your relationship with him that brings him worship. And you know what? It's no matter about leadership and fellowship. It's just lead, man fulfilling what God has asked you to do and the roles and responsibilities He has you in. And there's fulfillment and fulfilling those things. Man, we don't have much time, but I just want to spend just a bit, a moment of how this also plays. Okay, I talked about our homes, but we got multiple churches here, and we're a family, right? And man, how we treat one another, we've got some responsibilities. And we've been talking about our churches and getting to the next generation and, man, making sure we're strong. And, and listen, we're only going to get to that place if we keep God where he's supposed to be as the number one reason we're doing what we're doing. To bring him glory and honor and praise. And we're coming to please him. And we're bringing him worship. And so, man, we have some responsibilities within our church. man, to fulfill. Even if our, we think maybe at times our leaders are not the greatest or we're wondering where they're going, you know what? We have still some things to fulfill. And just because they're not doing what you may think they need to be doing doesn't give you the right not to fulfill what God's asked you to do. And so here's some things. Those are, men in the flock, or the pastors, I'm sorry. Here's some five responsibilities as pastors, as leaders, that we have to fulfill. Number one, we've got to feed the flock. We've got to feed the flock. We see that in 1 Peter 5, specifically simply in verse 2. Feed the flock of God, which is among you. Now, what an amazing verse. I mean, we just rolled over that, right? But, you know, it says feed the flock of God, but you've got to finish it, which is among you. And you know what? We can't feed people that don't come to church. We, don't, we can't feed people that are not among us. You've got to be among us. You've got to be around us. You've got to come to these things. You've got to be at church. You've got to come to discipleship. To be fed. But Pastors, that's, that's our goal. Is, is just simply feed. Feed the flock. That's our responsibility. Much like Peter or Timothy, preach the word. Preach the to the ones, feed the ones that are around you. One of the mistakes I made early in ministry is chasing the ones that never wanted to be caught. So I was a youth pastor for a little bit, and man, honestly, if I had my choice in this, in this gig, I would be a middle school counselor and discipler for the rest of my life. Lo- that's why I loved. You're like, weird, I know. but That's what I loved. This, I do this out of worship every time because I don't want to come up with those, stage, those steps. I don't like speaking in front of people, and, and I'm nervous all the time. Lee was making me so nervous last night. Right? He's like, don't mess this up. I'm like, I know, man. I, oh. Or yesterday morning. I freak out, and every time it's a, those steps or coming on the stage is an obedience issue for me. It's a submission thing and I'm sacrificing. Every time, it's worship for me. But listen, early in ministry, I tried to go catch people that never want to be caught, and so, man, I began to pray, Lord, would you just give give me 10 that get it, 10 that want to be here, and want to be involved, and want to buy into the mission. You know what is funny? He'd already answered that prayer because I opened my eyes and there's 10 that were faithful to every event, faithful around the church, faithful to this, but I was so busy trying to catch the ones that never got caught. I wasn't feeding the ones that were among me. May they don't fit the mold or may they don't fit the cookie cutter thing that made the image that we have in our mind or whatever the reason may be. May they're just excuses that we keep picking up. Why? But they're there. (laughs) And they want to be fed, and they want to be involved, and they want to do this. Man, feed those. And then as pastors, we're supposed to care for the flock. we to care for the flock. First Peter 5, again, talks about having oversight, having the right mindset. And for the sake of time, we're just going to have to go through these. This will be a great study for you prove all things. Three, we need to protect the flock. Protect the flock. Man, we see that we're to protect it from wolves. We understand false doctrine can creep in. Four, we're to pray for the flock. That was the whole deal of setting up some deacons early on was to give themselves to prayer and the word. We're to lead the flock. That's our job. So God's asked us to do as pastors. And may you're like, man, maybe you're like those that are in the room that are not a pastor, like, Amen. That's right. That's what the pastor should do, right? Come on, pastors. Man, you need to worship God so these things can be done for me, All right? I want you to fulfill your role, All right? And what I've learned, right, we're to do these five things it's not based on the type of sheep that are in the flock. You know what's interesting? A lot of times a pastor doesn't get to choose his sheep. But this shouldn't stop us from fulfilling this role. We should keep feeding. We should keep leading. We should be praying, protecting, caring, even if the flock ain't listening. We should do it out of worship. Out of an attitude of adoration for the Lord. And we'll demonstrate it through these appropriate actions. But there's, the pastor has five responsibilities, five main ones. But do you know you have seven responsibilities as a church member? You have seven. I think that's awesome, right? As pastors and teachers are to perfect the body of Christ, right? And seven being the number of perfection. And so, man, these are yours. And, and a pastor is supposed to be the example of Christ and dying. And he has got five. I just think that's fun. But here's seven key responsibilities for you. In the family of God. Towards your pastors, you're to know them. Number one, you're to know them. First Thessalonians five twelve it says, "And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you." Please hear me. It's better for a hundred people to know one man than one man trying to know a hundred people. Man, I can't even see faces because of the lights. So let's say this is church. And you know what? You're having a bad day, just having a tough time. And the pastor's at preaching, and he's got man, he's got all those responsibilities. That he's supposed to take care for the whole flock as a whole. And you're having a bad day, and you catch eyes with the pastor or with me, and then we can kind of catch eyes. I know something's going on, but man, there's a horde of people, and I really don't. I can kind of tell, but I don't know what's really going on. And and you leave. And you're like, man, the pastor never talked to me. No, it's your responsibility to know us. We're to take care of the flock. And, I mean, the goal is to know you. But listen, it's a lot easier when 100 people are trying to know one person and one person trying to know 100 people. Do you know your pastor? Do you know your leaders? Do you make effort or do you sit back and say, well, he doesn't talk to me, she doesn't call me, she doesn't do, he doesn't, this, this, and this, all your leaders. Man, and the excuses and you keep picking them up and it causes division. And you say, you know what? I'm going to fulfill my responsibility. Even if I don't know if he's doing his, I'm going to fulfill mine. I'm going to get to know them. You know what I found? If you begin to know your pastor, the preaching gets better. Because you have his heart. You know him. Two, you're going to hold them in high regard. You're going to hold them in high regard. You know, uh, you what? Know, people will say, well, if you only knew him, if you only knew that person, and again, just leave the excuses and just, just try to fulfill what God has asked you to do out of worship. And you see, man, some things just change in your church. Do you, you're supposed to follow their faith. Hebrews 13, 7. And I need to land pretty quick, so hold on, all right? You need to submit to their authority. you need to love them you need to pray for them you're going to take care of them again leadership is, is really important followership is very important but listen if the pastors in this room which I believe they do and I believe they are they are true worshipers and they would just focus on fulfilling their responsibilities. And then in the same hand, those that are in the body, of being true worshipers, find their fulfillment in Christ and doing what he said and fulfill these responsibilities. What could God do with a bunch of worshipers? They didn't get bent out of shape about all those little things or get offended about every little thing, but just, you know what? I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to love them. I'm going to get to know them. I'm going to hold them in high regard. I'm going to submit to those things. I'm going to make those seven things a matter of prayer. And the pastors are sitting over here, you know, I didn't see so-and-so. I mean, there's some rumors going on. There's these things. You know what? I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to feed them. I'm going to care for them. And he fulfills those responsibilities. Not only is God is going to get worship out of everybody's life. But they're going to get worship from the whole church collectively. It'd be an amazing thing. Can I ask you, real quick, you've seen some of the appropriate actions. You see what God's asked you in his word, and you know these things. What's your top five excuses that you can't fulfill what God's asked you to do? Why can't you love your husband? Why can't you love your wife? Where are the go-tos that you keep picking up You keep falling to the same trick? distracts you from what the Father wants you to do. Can i tell you again, everything rises and falls on your fulfillment. Stop playing the game. Stop falling for the trick. And know your Father is seeking true worshipers and have a love and reverence and respect for him. You see these appropriate actions and you go do it. Because he knows you can do it. And he's giving you the word and the spirit and the church of God to do those things. Let's pray. Father, just thank you for this morning. You're a good God, your sweet Lord. You deserve our life in the form of worship. Lord, we need to surrender our heart and our mind to you. Lord, we need to give it all. And Lord, we can come in here and have a great night of singing like last night, and that is worship. Praise is an appropriate action. And really important to you. But Lord, our life is to be full of worship man, Lord, I pray that we just go into our marriages wanting to worship you in those relationships. And man, we work with our kids. It'll be out a heart of worship for you because you've asked us to do these things and we love you. Lord, when we at work, that we handle the relationships like we need to handle them because we love you and reverence you. want to give you glory. We worship you in our work. But Lord, I pray in our church. That you don't have to be the one knocking outside our doors. That you are there, and within the relationship of a pastor and member, Lord, we would choose to worship you. We choose out of love and reverence and respect for you that we obey your word, we obey your voice. And if there's excuses that we keep running back to, Lord, let us see that trick. Let us see that man that we keep going back to this trick and it's distracting. Or we keep taking the effort to pick up those excuses and he throws them out again and we keep going after him, and it just keeps us away from accomplishing the responsibilities you've given us, either as a husband or wife, a father or a mother, a pastor or a member. Or let us not have any more excuses, but know that. You as our Father have asked us to do these things, and so we will, because we love you. And we do. We just thank you for this morning. We ask all this in your Son's name. Amen.